You're listening to College Recruiting with Jill Hicks. I have a question for you. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the college recruiting process? You have come to the right place. Jill will bring you expert tips and interviews with special guests to help you take a deep breath and know, yes, you are moving in the right direction to find your college team. After this podcast, don't forget to head to Jill's shop page to purchase her two guidebooks that will make everything in college recruiting much more clear and simple. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to College Recruiting with Jill Hicks. Today, we have a really fun guest, somebody who's, I would say, kind of unique uh, in the sense that I, had I not bumped into you, I don't know that I would have even thought to find you or reach out to you. So it's pretty exciting. This is Tanaya West, and she's going to share with us her background in just a minute. But I just wanted to say um, one of the things I love about Supergirl Power Camp is all the amazing women that are part of that um, that camp in those few days in California. And this is where I met Tanaya this summer was um, during the Supergirl Power Camp. So welcome Tanaya. And I would love it if you would just give a little background on who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you and the JH girls today. Um, so I grew up in Northern California and I was a level 10 gymnast uh, coached by Liz Crandall for most of my club career. I then competed at Stanford under Kristen Smith and we had a really fun four years where we made NCAAs every year and Super Six three of those years. Um, I had an amazing experience in collegiate gymnastics and really enjoyed my time at Stanford. After I graduated, I took a year off and I traveled in Nepal doing film work for a few months and I worked for an anesthesiologist in Palo Alto. Um, I then attended podiatric medical school in Oakland and did a residency at uh, Kaiser SF foot and ankle residency program and fellowship at the Silicon Valley reconstructive foot and ankle fellowship. I was hired on with the same group at Palo Alto Medical Foundation in Mountain View. And I'm now an attending podiatric surgeon and help train our surgical fellows. And I've kind of come full circle and have found my passion in youth sports medicine. And I especially enjoy treating gymnasts. Um, so in my practice now, I treat anything involving the foot or the ankle from ankle fractures and Achilles ruptures to chronic ankle instability. And as I move forward in my career, I hope to continue expanding my practice back into the gym world. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. This is so exciting on so many levels. Let's take it back though, to when you were recruited to Stanford. Was it always your dream to go to Stanford University or did you, did you get recruited to several schools or how did that come together? Yeah, um, Stanford was always my dream. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to beat that combination of athletics and academics, but I, I didn't know if I'd be good enough to make the lineups or fortunate enough to get through admissions. And so it was definitely a stretch school for me on my list. And I feel very fortunate that it worked out. Wow, that's amazing. So we have a lot of JH girls who dream about um, going to Stanford. And um, I would love it if you could share with them 
what it was like to be on that campus, juggling being a student and the athlete part. And what did you maybe see as some of the highs and the lows? Mm -hmm. So it, it was incredible. Um, I, I really cannot say enough good things about it. The people, the education, the environment. Um, I was fortunate enough to be on the team during a really special time where we we really came together as a group. We put our hearts out on the line and it made for a pretty incredible team bond and collegiate experience. Um, Tabitha Yim, the current head coach, and Alex Pinchuk, one of the assistant coaches, were actually our seniors on the team while I was there. And their class just did an exceptional job integrating us into Stanford gymnastics and instilling the culture in us right away. Um, as far as balancing school and academics, you know, I, I really just think it's an extension of what gymnasts grow up doing. You learn time management skills really early on. And if you translate those skills into college, no matter where you go to college, it's challenging, but definitely doable. Um, there's a ton of academic support for the students at Stanford, and it was a, a competitive, but really friendly learning environment. And it wasn't nearly as intimidating as I imagined uh, prior to going in. And I've heard they have the smaller class sizes. Yes, they do. Yeah, so that was really special. You get to work either with your professors or your TAs, depending on the class, in very small groups and have um, just get into a little bit deeper of a level of conversation uh, during those sessions. That's awesome. Okay, so were you, when you came to Stanford, did you have any idea if you would make the lineup or were you one of those girls who was like, okay, I got in now. Okay, now I'm on this team. I'm gonna have to work really hard uh, to make the lineup. Cause I looked back at your information and I don't remember there was one year you didn't compete. Was that your freshman year? It was my freshman year. Yeah, so I had to work really hard and um, eventually made my way into the lineup. So I feel like it was really special once I earned my place kind of in the lineup. Well, holy moly, uh, a team that goes to the Super Six is no you know, easy peasy thing. So you were on it, like you said, a team that was probably really talented. And I believe it said under your bio that you mostly competed floor and then you had to go in at the last minute on one event and you scored a 985 or something was that true what happened well I, I was a floor specialist for most of my collegiate career um, but I did continue training beam all four years gotcha. and my senior year I got called up into the beam lineups at uh, pack tens for the first time so it, it was definitely it's a good reminder for your listeners to keep up on all the, the mental training that Doc Alley spoke about in that recent episode, because it really came in handy staying calm and focusing in that situation. You know, you really know, never know when your number is going to be called. Um, the other thing I'd love to point out is I went back and looked at your floor video of a routine you did. I think it was Pac-10s back before it was Pac-12s, right? And, or maybe it was an Arizona meet. It was an Arizona dual meet, I think. Um, nevertheless, I, what I loved about your routine was how clean it was and okay. precise. And I'm always talking to the girls about the importance of having, you know, clean gymnastics and how it is really the key in college. And that was the thing that stood out when I watched your floor team. So 
I hope the girls will go and find you on YouTube and watch your routine on floor. I really appreciate that. That was something that did not come naturally for me. So starting up, we worked on that really hard. Um, oh, wow. I loved it. I, I, I was really drawn to your routine. Um, great. Okay. So now tell us a little bit about how you picked your major. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? We have so many JH girls who have that interest. Um, I did know that I was going to be on the pre-med track from pretty early on. Um, I took some time after college to really make sure that was what I wanted to do. Um, that was kind of that gap year where I, I traveled some. Um, but going into college, I did, did think that I wanted to go pre-med. Um, so I did a human biology major, or HumBio for short, um, which helped me meet all my pre-med requirements. But it, it also gave me a lot of flexibility to kind of explore my different passions within the major. Great. Okay, so let's move into what you do now. How did you specialize, decide on specializing in this area? Of, is it foot and ankle? Would that be the way we describe it in simple terms? Yeah, so podiatric surgery or foot and ankle surgery. Um, and this is a little bit different of a path. And it's actually something that's been really, really fun to be part of kind of breaking stigmas and stereotypes as the profession has really grown over the years. Um, so I'm a doctor of podiatric medicine, or DPM for short, meaning I'm a surgeon of the foot and ankle. And our initial training during medical school is very similar to an MD or a DO program. And in some schools is actually integrated into a DO program. Hmm. Um, so we, we do have a well-rounded education, but with an emphasis on orthopedics and especially the lower extremity. And then after four years of medical school, we do a three-year residency in podiatric surgery. Uh, the first year is pretty standard, including uh, rotations in many different subspecialties like general surgery and vascular surgery. And then the second two years, we focused mainly on foot and ankle surgery. Uh, but I also took general orthopedic call on the weekends and overnights. So it really allowed for a well-rounded education where I was trained by both podiatric surgeons and orthopedic surgeons. Um, and then after my residency, I did a one-year fellowship that focused mainly on foot and ankle trauma, uh, reconstruction, and sports medicine in both pediatric and adult patients. Um, the, the profession is really fun for me because I have the opportunity to combine sports medicine, biomechanics, trauma, and surgery on a very delicate but complex part of the body. So when you say trauma, mm -hmm. what does that in what is that defined as? I mean, I, I mean, a lot of ankle injuries I know are traumatic, but what does trauma mean in, in regards to this? So mainly broken bones. So for an example, I had a gymnast recently who was playing on an injured warrior wall and fell from a height and had a pretty bad fracture dislocation of the ankle. Mm -hmm. and so something like that can require surgery to put the bones back together and use hardware to keep everything in place. Which brings me to a really important part that I want you to share with the girls or any guys that are out there following up, listening, you know, any athletes of any sport, um, what kind of preventative measures? I know we've come a long way. And one of the things we used to do when I was a head coach at Cal State Fullerton was we required the girls to do ankle exercises uh, for preventative measures before each event, they had a certain amount they had to do. Um, no matter if they've ever had an ankle injury or not, just to strengthen. And this was through our trainers uh, at Cal State Fullerton. Of course, they decided what these would be. 
And it was, it was amazing. It really cut down on injuries. So where are we at right now in terms of learning for the sport of gymnastics? How can we be preventative for ankle? Mm-hmm. And maybe even Achilles too, because I, I saw that that was part of, do you do ruptured Achilles as well? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think that's really great what they were having you do um, with the preventative exercises. I think that's so important for any tro- training training program to incorporate. And you know, sometimes they don't. And so it's it's good to hear when people are doing that. Um, as far as the foot and ankle goes, it's very heavily represented represented in um, overuse injuries. So over 70% of overuse injuries in youth sports are in the lower extremity and 20% in the foot or the ankle itself. Hmm. That number is actually higher in gymnasts. So one study of collegiate gymnasts showed that 40% of injuries were in the foot or ankle. Um, And when you're looking at stress fractures alone, over a third occur in the foot in high school aged athletes. So it's really important to have a well-balanced training plan that focuses on quality over quantity and incorporates soft landing when soft landings when feasible. Um, one of the kind of interesting side effects from the pandemic was that I saw a lot of gymnasts who started running outside and I saw both tibial and metatarsal stress fractures because their bodies weren't used to pounding on the cement every day. Um, and then kind of getting into what you were talking about earlier is, kind of the preventative care with ankles, I think it's really important to focus on rehabbing even minor ankle sprains with your athletic trainer or your physical therapist every time you have a sprain. Because each time you sprain the ankle, there can be both mechanical and functional consequences that can predispose you to spraining the ankle again. So it's really important to work on retraining your proprioception, um, or in other words, retraining the brain's ability to know where the ankle is in space. Okay, so I didn't put this in my notes when we talked earlier. <laughs> so if you don't have details on this, do not worry. But I should have asked you, one thing that goes through my mind a lot, what are the spring floors mm-hmm. in particular in gymnastics now? And I just wondered what kind of information you might have on maybe a club coach who might be listening today Or again, what I love about what you said was preventative and you said taking soft landings as much as possible and quality over quantity. I think um, all those things make such a huge difference in uh, prevention. But I'm curious how much you have, are you involved at all in the whole springs and the spring floors and how they're affecting like Achilles and injuries that we're having or is it getting better because of the springs or are you finding there's challenges with having these you know very high end spring gymnastic floors yeah i think i think there's both challenges and kind of beneficial parts to them right with um having the spring floor you're going to have a lot less of kind of these overuse injuries due to the pounding on a harder surface And so the stress that you're putting on your soft tissue and your bones with every repetition is going to be much less on a spring floor compared to a stiffer floor. Um, There are some unintended consequences with that as you're getting into kind of the Achilles research that's been going on. Um, And I think it's going to take some more research to really fine tune all of that. Are you involved at all with USAG or any 
um, are, is there much research going on back and forth with like doctors like you who were gymnasts who are now doctors? Do you? I am not involved with USAG at this point, but um, it'd definitely be something I'd be interested in in the future. Um, there, there is a lot of research going into kind of preventative measures and spring floors and the force that goes through a gymnast's body with their landing. Um, every time somebody lands, their force is, is just astronomical. It can be 14 times your body weight every time you land a double back. Um, so just thinking about the, that amount of force going through a, a tiny gymnast's body with every repetition is um, pretty amazing that they stay in one piece. <laughs> you know, I used to go in, because Val and I are so close to UCLA's practices all the time. Um, we had tumble tracks too at the schools I coached at, but, you know, most recently, last 10 years, I, I go to see her and I would go and they would spend way more time on the tumble track than they would on the actual floor tumbling and, you know, when I tell some of the JH girls what the assignments are in college as compared to what they're doing in club, they, they, they are often shocked, you know, that we had to. I mean, we basically, we had to, which, which wasn't a negative, but those tumble tracks, those soft, uh, you know, takeoff and landings are so helpful in college. So most of the college have, you know, will utilize those systems all the way through season even it doesn't seem to affect their timing so I I mean I I'm really grateful for that because I think it has made a big difference too yeah I, I completely agree with that you know getting the repetitions and your kind of timing and your air awareness in without as yeah. many repetitions on the hard floor yeah. yeah okay next question is um, these are questions that I think are going to be really good for the girls. So do you have any advice, um, for our JH, JH girls, um, in regards to how to speak up when they're in pain and how to know when it's time to talk to their club coaches about what's going on with their bodies and why are we so resistant to that? Why is it so hard for gymnasts to do that? I mean, I can answer this too, but I think it'd be so neat to hear from you. Yeah, this is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about because taking ownership of your health is such an important thing, especially in the world of gymnastics, where not only are you placing superhuman demands on your body and your mind, but you're also being told exactly what to do with your body every day. And so it can sometimes be easy to kind of lose that autonomy and the ownership over yourself in such a high demand sport. Um, I think probably almost all gymnasts try to ignore their injuries when they first appear, you know, maybe ice at home and don't tell their coaches. And a vast major majority may even lie and say that they're fine until it gets to the point where they're limping and they can't train. Um, I was the exact same way and I took pride in being stoic like that. But now I can see that in the weeks or the months that it takes to go through those stages you have an injury that potentially could have been treated with just some training modifications and rehab to something that is going to require taking time off, which you don't like, your coaches don't like, and it reinforces this vicious cycle of hiding your injuries. So one of my missions is to get gymnasts empowered to communicate effectively with their coaches early on and work on rehabbing an injury before it gets to the point of needing drastic measures. Um, so to the athletes listening, 
I want to give you one simple phrase that I hope will empower you to talk more easily with your coaches. I want you to initiate the conversation by saying, I want to be proactive in making sure I stay healthy. Hmm. Now, this frames your conversation in a positive light. It avoids sounding like complaining or whining, which is a big reason why I never wanted to speak up. And it would be really hard for someone to not engage in a productive dialogue if you frame it that way. Hmm. I want to be proactive in making sure I stay healthy. Um, Yeah, so it's just one small example, but I think having the confidence and the tools to speak to your coaches early is crucial for both your gymnastics career and your long-term health. Well, just this last week, I've had three conversations with JH girls who had stress fractures um, in their shin that turned into way more than that to where they had to take off a lot more time than they would have had they probably talked to someone sooner. Um, And I know as a college coach, uh, I had a handbook that the girls would have to sign at the end or uh, the first week they arrived. And one of the longest topics we would discuss is the importance of them telling me or the trainer immediately when their body started hurting. And um, it really takes them almost a year to learn how to do this. It's not something they're gonna be able to kick overnight because it's habit, number one. And you're with a new coach when you go to college and new expectations and you, you want to show them your best side. So it takes quite a while to not only have a a voice, but trust the trainer, that the trainer is not going to go to the college coach and do make decisions, you know, that aren't um, a part of, you're not a part of that decision-making. I think that's where the girls really struggle is they're, they're losing, like you said, they're, they're losing control and they want to maintain that control because they want to perform and they want to please. I mean, I think most gymnasts are people pleasers, which gets them as far as so far a long ways in the sport of gymnastics. You know, you get your assignment, you go do it, and you want to show the coach that you fulfilled it. They're often just those, you know, that kind of personality type. So it takes a lot of time, but I can tell you when you have a good trainer in college, but even prior to that, if you have a good you know, doctor and a good PT person, I really want the girls to hear again, or any athlete listening to this, that if we probably sat down and did the percentages, the athletes that come forward earlier end up in a more positive uh, situation in the long run. Oh, Maybe, would you say that? Yeah, definitely. Because you can, you can work on just smaller modifications at the beginning to help prevent the injury from getting worse. And that example you gave of the tibial stress fractures is such an important one because those can start off very mild, but if they're left untreated and the gymnast continues training, it can actually become quite serious uh, to the point of actually needing surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Again, it just highlights the importance of speaking up early and really taking care of your injuries when they're in the earlier stages. Good. And you'd be surprised, JH girls out there, families, any athlete. I used to say the trainers were like magic. It was amazing 
the different types of treatments that they have in their back pocket that are really quality. These aren't just like things that are fly by night. These are things that have been studied and usable, even ways you tape sometimes the ankle or the treatment that you're gonna get without even getting taping. It's incredible what some of these trainers can do, especially when you get to college. And I'm sure if you find good ones in your city and your community as a club athlete, um, it can really make a big difference. So I, I think it just takes time. It just takes trusting and it just takes, you know, wanting to change so that for the best of your body and the best of your career long-term. So those are all really encouraging things. All right. So do you have any advice for the gymnasts um, who avoid going to the doctor in general because they're worried they're going to be told they can't be in gym? Yes. Um, I see this all the time. And, you know, I think if you're afraid to go in, you maybe haven't found the right doctor yet. You know, you need someone who's on your team. Now, that doesn't always mean that they're going to tell you that you're fine and you can push through, but it is someone who sees your injury in the context of you as an athlete. So you don't want a medical team who's shocked by the hours you're training and just tells you to take a month off. Right. Now, even if you do need to rest the injury for a month, you need a dialogue with your doctor about, you know, one, if you need that mental space and time to completely rest out of the gym, that's okay and should be encouraged. Or two, if you want to push your rehab, then what's safe to keep doing to keep your fitness up and your air awareness up while the injury heals? And I find that the more that I tell gymnasts what they can be doing in the gym during their recovery, the more they follow the rules about what they're not allowed to do. So it's really a win-win situation when you find a good fit. Um, injuries are, are going to happen. And unfortunately, you know, avoiding going to the doctor typically doesn't make them go away on their own. That's awesome. Uh, so do you have anything else you'd like to add to this that I might not have asked you? I don't think so. One question that you had sent before that I really liked was how did gymnast, uh, gymnastics prepare me to become a doctor and a surgeon, which I found interesting with so many of the, right. the girls being recruited and being pre-med. Um, and I, I loved that question because I feel like it prepared me in so many ways. And one of the really cool ways that I hadn't really anticipated was that the physical aspect of training a skill over and over until you can do it perfectly in your sleep is the same as surgical training and perfecting your surgical skills in so many ways. So that was a really cool aspect of it for me, you know, getting to continue that strive for perfection of, of physical skills and not just academics. So is it just as scary being a surgeon that day when it's time for your mentors to walk away and let you have that ankle all on your own and you get in there and it's all on you basically. Is it similar to doing like tough skills and that day when you have to have the courage to go and actually do it? Yeah, I think it's so similar because just as in gymnastics, you have the building blocks, right? In gym, you start with the basics and then you work in the pit and then you build up to the hard floor. And then finally it's that competition day where the pressure is on and you have to perform well. And it's very similar with surgical training where you start with you know, the absolute basics and under very close watch of your attendings. 
And then slowly as you gain their trust, you get to do more and more. So when the time comes to do it completely on your own without any supervision, you feel way more than prepared. Um, and you have to trust your work very, very similar to being out on the competition floor. Wow, that's so interesting. So your hope, you mentioned that your hope is to really go into sports um, or you enjoy that or that's a piece of your practice, would you say? Or do you? Yeah, so it is a big piece of my practice. I'm already very specialized being a foot and ankle surgeon, um, but even within that, you can subspecialize even more. So I really enjoy working with youth athletes and especially gymnasts because I feel like I'm able to connect with them in the office and really understand what they're going through. Wow, that's great. All right, so my last question I ask everybody on my podcast is, what do you do in your day that brings you joy? Um, one, to be honest, is just going into the office. I enjoy what I do, and I work with an amazing group of people. So we're, we're continually learning from each other and helping each other become better. And it's a really fun atmosphere, so it's like getting to hang out with my friends every day. Um, the second is I have an 11-month-old golden retriever, and he is just a bundle of energy and personality. He brought so much joy to my life. What's his name? Benny. Benny. Oh. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Tanaya. This was uh, very unique, and I think it's going to be beneficial in ways that the girls won't expect. So I'm super excited to launch this podcast, and I just appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy doctor and hopefully we can have you on more I, th I feel like there's a lot more questions I'd love to ask you in the future thank you so much for having me thanks for joining us on today's podcast if you're interested in Jill Hicks Consulting's advising services head over to www.jhicksconsulting.com and click on the Get Started button to fill out your forms page. One of our advisors will give you a call. We're in your corner and we'll talk to you soon.